Hello, Westridge. Uh, my name's Tim. Um, glad you're here. And I hope by the time we're done, I hope uh, y'all be glad you're here too. Want want to tell you a story today, and I got to warn you. It's a strange story. It's kind of out there, and uh, if you haven't heard this story before. As you're listening to it, you might be going like, no way did that really happen. That's just a made-up story. That's just a fable. That's just, you know, some kind of legend. Uh, I've, I've heard this story myself many, many times. And to be real frank with you, it still seems strange to me. So it's a strange story. But I really, I really like this story because... Within the story, there's stuff that gives us reason to believe that it's not a made-up story. And the stuff that's in the story that tells us it's not made up, I think is kind of funny. And hopefully you will too. But I do, so I'm going to have a good time. And uh, I love this story. This story means the world to me. And, and I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you later about that. So... Uh, here, here we go. This is from, uh, from the Bible. Luke chapter 9. It begins this way. It says that Jesus took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. Now, that's not unusual. That's not strange. That's something Jesus did a lot, right? He'd, you know, Peter, James, and John were like his three closest uh, confidants, his, his kind of his inner circle among his little band of 12. And so he takes them and says, come on, let's go up and we're going to do us some intense praying. That's, that's not unusual. But look what happens. I mean, things start getting real strange real fast. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. It's interesting. Jesus is praying and he goes through this, this transformation. His face changes and, his, and, his, and his, his clothes are bright as light. And it, notice it doesn't say exactly how his face changed, but it stands to reason that because it doesn't say how his face changed, that his face changed like his clothes changed. Are you with me? Making sense? Okay. And his clothes are as bright as a flash of lightning. Think, think about how bright that is. I mean, you ever been out someplace at night, and maybe you're hiking or someplace, or walking around in an area where there's not much light, and then all, then all of a sudden there'll be like a, a big lightning bolt, and it just like lights up everything. I mean, it's that bright. And I realize this is church, and we can sort of not necessarily be all dialed in here. But dial in here. Think about this. Suddenly Jesus' appearance has changed, and, and it's just as bright as the brightest lightning flash you ever saw. That's, that's, that's a strange thing. That's a very strange thing. But it didn't say that his... Notice it doesn't say that his, that his appearance just flashed like that. It said it was as bright as that flash. So it became as bright as, as, bright as that and stayed that way. So it wasn't just like... Poof. It was like... Poof. Right? This is a strange, strange thing. This is called the story 
of the transfiguration. And the technical definition, I looked it up, of transfiguration is, quote, to transform into something more beautiful and elevated. I like the way, though, one biblical scholar put it about this story. He says, those who saw Jesus this way are simply seeing to the core of what Jesus has been all along. I like that. Now, this is the only time, as far as I know, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm right about this. This is the only time in the Bible that this happens to Jesus. It's not like every other minute Jesus' face and appearance is changing to like, like lightning bright flash. This is the only time that this, that this happens in, in, in his life. But somebody's face being changed like that isn't entirely biblically unprecedented. It happened at least once before in the Bible. In the book of Exodus... You know, Genesis, Exodus, second book of the Old Testament. Um, when Moses brings the Ten Commandments down from Mount Sinai. Well, actually, a little, little Bible trivia here. Uh, Moses actually brought the commandments down from the mountain twice. First time when he came down on the mountain, he found the people worshiping, worshiping the golden calf, you know, this pagan idol. And he got so mad that he takes the Ten Commandments and he just, just smashes them on the ground. Smashes them to bits. Only time in human history that ever that somebody broke all Ten Commandments all at once. <laughs> bad, bad joke. Do not repeat second service. But anyways, y'all are kind. But so he he did break the Ten Commandments, and so he has to go back up the mountain and 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 get them again. And he comes back down, and, and, and look what it says. It says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the law, the Ten Commandments in his hands, his face was radiant because he'd spoken with the Lord. And, and, and notice, we'll come back to this, but notice it says, when Aaron, that was his brother, the, and he was like a, like a co-leader of the people, when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. It wasn't like, wow, that's cool. Check that out. No, they're like going, whoa. It was scary. And so strange as this is, this transfiguration of Jesus, strange as it is, it's not entirely biblically unprecedented. It's strange. And then, but stick with me, because the story gets stranger. Look what happens next. Then the Bible says two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure which he was about to f- bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. Okay, we, we all know Moses, Moses and Elijah appear. That's weird because it's, you know, this is you know, hundreds if not you know, more than a thousand years later. I don't know exactly, somebody could tell you. But the, after these guys ha- ha- are, are dead and gone and suddenly they appear. And so this, 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 that's strange, but it's also a big deal. I mean, everybody here probably knows that Moses is kind of a big deal. You know, Moses, Charlton Heston... You know, the great lawgiver, the one who leads the people of God out of slavery in Egypt. You know, the Exodus, all that stuff. He, 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 he was the great lawgiver. Moses is a big deal. And Elijah, if you don't know this, Elijah was considered like the greatest of the prophets. To this day, when, when, uh, when Jewish folk celebrate Passover, they set a chair for Elijah. And leave the door open, ho- hoping that Elijah 
will return. I mean, Elijah was like the Michael Jordan of prophets. So that Moses and Elijah appear and start talking to you. This is not only strange, this is, this is a big deal. Because see, Peter, James, and John, they were raised in Judaism. And, and Moses and Elijah were like the two most important leaders in the history of Judaism. And suddenly this guy that they're following, Jesus, is standing there talking to the, the great Moses and the great Elijah. I mean, this would be like, y'all, put this in perspective. This would be like a presidential camp, uh, candidate um, speaking in your town. And while he was speaking, George Washington and Abraham Lincoln appeared with him on stage. I'm say that that would change a person's candidacy, would it not? Right? So they're following Jesus. They're doing everything they can to follow. Then all of a sudden, ooh, this Jesus thing just, just takes on new, new significance and new, new magnitude. And the Bible says that Moses and Elijah were talking to Jesus about what the Bible calls his departure. It's real interesting. In the original language of the New Testament at this point, the word departure literally is the word exodus. I don't know if it's interesting to you, but that's just interesting to me. So here's Moses who led God's people out of Egypt, you know, in, in the Exodus. He, and, it, and it's talking about what Jesus is about to go through in dying on a cross and getting up from the grave. And, and that's referred to as Jesus' Exodus. So Moses, who led the Exodus, is talking with Jesus about his Exodus. That, that's just kind of interesting to me. So you've got these very strange things happening. You know, Jesus is like lightning, like, whoa. And then, then Moses and Elijah, they're like, whoa. And they're incredible. And, 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 but, but that's just so strange. And I realize folks could say, oh, that's just made up. That's just a religious fable or, you know, fairy tale or whatever, you know, legend. But, but then stuff starts happening in this story that tells me, you can draw your own conclusion, but tells me that it's not. Look what it says next. Next it says, Peter and his companions were very sleepy. Now that's a little, that's not a great translation. What it, what it literally means in the original is they were sound asleep. So while all this is going on, they're sound asleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with them. Now, 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 now actually, think about this with me. This is our first clue that this story, in my opinion, is, is not made up. I mean, maybe you've heard the theory that the Bible is just stories that his followers made up. After Jesus was dead, his followers made up the stories, you know, to start this new religion, you know, and to make it seem legitimate and to consolidate their own power. How many have ever heard a theory like that about the Bible? How many have heard that? All right, it's in a lot of things. It's like in Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code. And I'm not dogging the Da Vinci Code. I, I, I really enjoyed that book. It was a real page turner. I read that thing in about two days. And the movie, The Da Vinci Code, I really enjoyed that. I mean, who doesn't like Tom Hanks? Is there anybody who'd say, I do not like Tom Hanks? Would anyone claim, dare to say they don't like Tom How could he not like that guy? You know, he's not only a good actor, he's just such, a, such an awesome, cool guy. And uh, so I got nothing against the Demichico per se, but that's this theory that these stories in the Bible, especially the ones that seem fantastical and supernatural, are just made up, and they, and they were just made up by Jesus' followers to legitimate uh, to legitimate their new religion and consolidate their own power. But think about that. If you were making up a story and you're the new leaders of this new religion, why would you make up a story where something really, really important happens and when it happens, you, you, you'd fall asleep? 
I mean, think about it. Jesus says to Peter, James, and John, y'all are my closest of the close. Come up on this mountain. We're going to have this intense time of prayer. If I wanted to make a story that made me look good, in that story, I'd be devoutly praying right there with Jesus, wouldn't you? Am I making any sense whatsoever? And again, whenever I talk, you're allowed to say yes, no, or I don't know. So I hope I'm making some sense. I mean, I would be, you know, I, if, if I was making this story up, I would say, you know, like, and Peter, James, and John, you know, um, spent the night diligently, devotedly, steadfastly in prayer, and then the transfiguration. But no, it happens. They're like, just like, they're just like sawing logs. They're not spiritual giants. They're a bunch of goofs. And then, and then something else happens that gives me to believe, leads me to believe this is not a made-up story. Look what happens next. It says, as the men, meaning Moses and, and, and Elijah, were leaving Jesus, Peter, and if you know, it, Peter goes on to be the first leader of this whole Jesus movement thing. Peter says to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then it says, in parentheses, he did not know what he was saying. But that's not an editorial comment. That part's actually in the Bible when it says that Peter said that, and it said he did not know what he's saying. So you know that something's up. See, Peter, see, here's this just unbelievably amazing thing. Just absolutely the most mind-blowing spiritual experience of Peter's whole life. He sees Moses and Elijah, and his response was, hey, let's, let's, let's build three shelters. You know, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, stick with me here. Here's where it gets a little bit complicated, but, but it's really important and worth going into. Scholars say that when he says, it, it, it's really, it's good for us to be here, that could be a statement, or it could be a question. If it's a statement, it goes like this. It's really good for us to be here. That was just so awesome. Let's build some little shrines to commemorate the experience. Let's find some sticks and some, some, some branches and stuff. And let's just make some, some impromptu shrines here so we won't forget this amazing experience. That's what this would mean if he's saying uh, it's good for us to be here. Let's, let, let's put up three shelters. One for you and Moses Elijah. However, if it's not a statement, if it's a question, it's like this. Jesus, yikes, is, 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 this, is this really good that we're even here? Because see, if it's not a statement and it's a question, Peter's saying, this is scary. This is terrifying. Remember earlier in, that, in, in, in the talk when I gave you that passage of scripture where Moses' his face is shining from his encounter with God and the people were afraid to come near him? See, to, to understand this story, we need to understand this. See, uh, uh, people in those days believed that God was dangerous and scary. I mean, if you got on his bad side or crossed him, watch out. So there's a possibility here that Peter's saying, let's build these three shelters so you three guys can go in there and we'll stay out here. <laughs> and we'll be protected from you because, you know, you're like scary, like, like, like God's scary because people were really scared of God back then. And to tell you the truth, I'm not so sure that things have changed that much. I think of, as I was working on this talk, I, I thought of somebody I knew years ago. There was a woman who came to church that I used to work for. Um, and uh, 
she was adamant that she did not believe in Jesus at all, did not believe in God at all. She was raised Catholic and had a really, really bad experience. And then she married a guy who was, you know, Protestant, you know, conservative Protestant, and he was abusive, and he, and he cheated on her. And so she'd been, she'd been, uh, well, where I come from, we'd say she'd been rode hard and put up wet by this uh, whole God and Jesus thing. And she was devoutly not, uh, into God and devoutly not into she wasn't obnoxious about it but she was just and she was also really really smart she was like really bright and so she felt like oh I've seen what a what a crock all that stuff is and plus I'm too smart for all that and you know and she got into all sorts of really sophisticated stuff and uh, and 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 but it's really interesting years later when something would go terribly wrong in her life she became a single mom because her 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 ex-husband who'd beat, beat her and cheated on her, you know, uh, left her. And when things would go wrong in her life, my phone would ring and she would, and she, and she would be crying and she, and, she, and, and, and she would say, what did I do? Why is God punishing me? See, I realize that people in our culture like to talk about God all casually and familiarly, you know, and you'll call him, you know, the big guy or, you know, the man upstairs or, and people like to say God's all loving and what, and whatnot. But deep down, I don't know if you're not, that's okay. But I think deep down, a majority of people, when it comes to God, that's, that can be scary. I mean, you say for you, but I'll say for me, what if I am? What if I am on God's bad side? That's, that's a scary thought. I have that thought pretty often. It's scary. So we don't know whether Peter is saying, man, this is great. Let's commemorate this experience by building these shrines. Or, or, or whether Peter is saying, man, I am, I am scared. So let's, let's just build some shrines to put you guys in so we're kind of safe from you but either way Peter has this momentous experience and his response to the most mind-blowing spiritual experience of his life is let's make some huts he didn't say like let's raise money and and you know and and, and architect and make it cool he goes that was awesome let's make some huts Again, if, if, if you're wanting to make up a story that makes the first leaders of this whole Jesus thing look like they got it going on, you don't have a guy respond to this awesome thing by saying, let's make some huts. At least not to me. And that's why the Bible says parenthetically when it says he did not know what he's saying. The Bible itself says, that's a polite way of saying, and Peter completely missed the point. What a goof. What a goofball. Let's make some huts. I'm saying if you're making it up, you just wouldn't make it up that way. So Peter says, let's make some huts. And then look what happens. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. And they, and, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. If we don't know if Peter, James, and John were afraid before this point, we know now. Because it says they were afraid. That's how we know they were afraid. Because it says they were afraid. That was a heavy deep thought. You might want to write that one down. 
But this cloud appears, and, and, and that's what's scaring them. And, and I don't know where this cloud appears, and they're shrouded in the mist. A- any Stephen King fans in the house at all? Yeah, you know that, that, that one story of his? What's that one story of his called? The Mist. Remember The Mist? It was made into a movie. I think Mark, wasn't Mark Wahlberg in, 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 in The Mist? And, uh, and this is scary. You know, The Mist comes and people start dying and, and all sorts of creepy stuff. But see, this isn't just like a general mist. Because see, in biblical stuff, generally there was this cloud that was, that was synonymous with the concentrated extra special presence of God. I mean, so this cloud that envelops them is not like, you know, cumulonimbus or stratus or whatever cloud names there are. This is the God cloud. This is, I guess you'd call it cumulo divino. <laughs> but they're scared. Why are they scared? Because they're scared of God. They don't know what's going to happen. They've been decent religious folk their whole life. But when it gets right down to it, they're scared. Because they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what God's going to have to say to them. And Peter and James and John, they don't have to wander for too long. God doesn't leave them in suspense. A voice came from from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I've chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. See, the voice speaks and says, This is my son. And to make sure that... You couldn't be confused about who's referring to when the voice speaks, Moses and Elijah are now gone. So it's absolutely clear who this voice is talking about. Moses and Elijah are gone, and the only one standing there is. And y'all, I love this story. What this story is about is why. That's why I followed Jesus. See, Moses had done many great things and said many great things to help people find God. And Elijah had done many great things and said many great things to help people find God. And yet, here's Jesus. And God does not say, Jesus will help you find God. That's not what God says. God says, this is my son. And that statement, this is my son. For us in our modern times, it's hard for us in our culture and our worldview to grasp the significance and the profundity of what it means to say that Jesus is God's son. See, in the days of of, of the Bible, somebody's son was not just somebody that they loved extra special because that was their son. And it wasn't somebody who was, you you know, just close to his father or biologically descended from his father. Back in the day... If you were a father, your son had your full authority. If your son said something, you said it. If your son entered into a contract, you entered into it. If your son borrowed money, you were on the hook for it. And no, no need to co-sign in those days. If your son borrowed money, you were on the hook for it. I, I got two boys in the early 20s. That's a scary thought right there. See, listen, I hope we can get this. See, again, don't even worry about whether you buy this or whether you believe this. Just make sure whether you buy it and believe it or not. Make sure you understand what it's saying. When, 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 when this voice from the cloud says, this is my son. It, see, in those days, the son being present was the same as the father being present. Uh, uh, back in those days, a son was not just a chip off the old block. 
The son was the block. That's why later, just before Jesus was about to die, Jesus is, Jesus is talking to his apostles again, and he was laying down some heavy stuff, teaching them about himself as God's son. Look what he says. It says, if you had known me, meaning if you got who I was, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip, one of the apostles, says, says to, to Jesus, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. And Jesus says to him, have I been with you so long and you don't know me, Philip? Whoever's seen me has seen the father. Once again, a follower of Jesus, just being a goof. He did not know what he was saying. Man, it was such, y'all, to understand the story of the Transfiguration, you got to get something. Such a just mind-blowing, epic-making statement to say, this is my son. And it's tough, because, you know, in our day, folks like to say, you know, we're all, you know, we're all children of God, and, and God's everybody's father. And sure, but we got to understand something. That God's our father, that is not common knowledge that is not common sense that everybody knows we've got to understand that before Jesus came before Jesus came to the world historically no one ever called God my father no one nobody people use the analogy that God was like a father but no one dared address God as my father and there's a reason. Look at this. Here's another, another passage. This is from John chapter 5. Look at this. One time Jesus um, called God my father publicly. Quote, my father is always at work to this very day and I too am working for this reason. And then it says, for this reason, they, meaning the religious leaders, tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath in their opinion, but he was even calling God his own father. And, and the Bible just says right there, it lays it out for us theologically, when Jesus said... My father, he was making himself equal with God. And see, that's why I love this story of the transfiguration. It's such a radical claim. And personally, man, it just means everything to me. Of all the great religious and spiritual leaders in the history of the world, only Jesus... Said he was God's son. Only Jesus calls God my father. Moses didn't say that. Elijah didn't say that. Confucius didn't say that. Muhammad didn't say that. Buddha never said that. Here, here. All the other founders of major world religions basically said, I've come to tell you how to find God. But Jesus said, I am God. And I've come to find you. And that's why I follow him. I don't know about you, but there's a whole lot of things I don't have figured out. But one thing I've figured out, if I've got to find God, doesn't matter who's going to tell me how to find him. If I've got to find him, I'm in trouble. I have reason to be scared. I am horrible at following directions. I don't just mean like the kind that comes with your smartphone telling you how to set it up or stuff like that. I, I mean, if I'm going to find God by doing what I'm supposed to do and doing it right or doing it well, 
forgive my candor here, but if I got to find God, if that's up to me, I'm screwed. I am. I know myself too well. Man, half the time, y'all, I can't even find my car keys. And I got to find God? You say for you, but I'll say for me. If I have to find God, I have no hope. But if God's come to find me, well, then I tend to believe that even somebody like me is going to be okay. Especially when he comes to find me. He comes to find me in the person of his only son. And he comes to find me. Not just to teach me or to be an example for me. He comes to live for me. And he comes to die for me. And he comes to get up from the grave for me. And he promises me he'll never leave me. That's why I follow him. Because he's God's son. And I don't have to find God. God's come to find me. And yeah, I love this story. Peter was a goof. And I take great comfort in that. But it's interesting to me. Years after the transfiguration, Peter wrote a part of the Bible and he said to a bunch of messed up, struggling, beleaguered Christ followers like me, look what he says in 2 Peter 1.16. He says, we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the, com- the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes. He's talking about the transfiguration. And it's a strange story. And to me, it has some funny parts. But I love this story. Because it reminds me why I followed Jesus. I don't have to find God. God's come to find me. How about you? Let's pray. God help us. Help us. I don't know where everybody's at here. I don't know if everybody feels confident they can find you. I just say for me, I'm I'm not confident at all. But personally, I thank you. I don't have to find you. Because you found me.